I sent you a picture, didn't I? I'm sat here with official That Was Genius swag. Got my coffee mug. And it looks very, very good. It does look good. I'm going to put a photo of this on social media. And I am going to, because I got a few done. So what I'm going to say to our dear audience out there, have a look on social media. If you like our swag, the That Was Genius beautiful mug with our logo and an orange middle on it, post us on your social media, say something nice about us, tag us in it so we can actually see that you've done it. And in a couple of weeks, I'll pick a couple of you at random and send you a mug. Terms and conditions will probably apply, but fuck it, can't think of them now. Uh, Failure to keep up, repayments may cost you your home. Uh, side effects may include nausea, vomiting, acne, sex change. Porridge and... up your bum. <laughs> and porridge up your bottom. Excellent. So, yes, if you want a mug and a porridge enema, tag us on your social media of choice. Please be aware... If you live on Easter Island, you may bankrupt Sam. <laughs> Preferably someone from Cheshire could win it. Yeah, if you happen to live within three miles of central Manchester, that would be convenient. That would be great. Just rig it, no, Sam. I'll... Just rig it. You rig all the bloody tosses at the start of every episode. You may as well rig the... I do, yeah. When I worked at the BBC, I rigged lots of Blue Peter competitions. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Phone-ins have strictly come dancing, just rigging everything yep. left, right and centre. Absolutely, F- yeah. Corrupt, beeb. Yeah, absolutely. I occasionally murdered, jailed paedophiles and made it look like suicide. It's just the kind of thing yeah. I do for fun, Tom. Have you seen all the memes going around at the moment with an interesting fact followed by the words, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> no. Did you know dogs can see any colour except blue and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself? (laughs) (laughs) One of the Queen's secret guard. I think it was one of the Order of the Bath. (laughs) One of the secret companions of the bath turned up at the prison and snuck him a a belt. He was found with a loofah stuffed in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah, strangled by the cord of a shower head, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> by the little chain of a bath plug yeah. Yeah, yeah so yes anyway on Facebook we are <laughs> that was genius podcast on Twitter we are that underscore was underscore genius and on Instagram we're at that was genius get yourself some swag get yourself Might a mug set up a shop soon <laughs> and you can <laughs> listen to the podcast whilst drinking a cup of tea out of your that was genius a rather silly history podcast cup yes yeah, the most British way to enjoy us drinking tea out of a mug Hello and welcome, <laughs> after 12 minutes of rambling incoherently, to That Was Genius, the history podcast in which two friends on different sides of the world, one who's called Tom, hello, good, thank you, and one who's called Sam, hello, discuss history topics on a theme each week. Make a noise, Sam. Uh, <laughs> 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 Uh, discuss history topics on the theme each week. The theme is decided the week in advance, but everything else is a surprise. And because we're historians, not fucking mathematicians, what's yeah. our topic this week, Tom? Well, for our 41st episode, we thought we would do the topic <laughs> of 40. Because Sam, the dickhead, um, <laughs> when he suggested this topic, didn't check that this was actually yes. the 40th episode. Yeah, we recorded the last episode on the day that episode 39 came out and I got a bit confused. Yeah. So, yes, this is episode 41, so we're celebrating our 41st birthday by pretending we're 40, like all good 41-year-olds do. And also, Sam, it's not like we're recording this on Halloween and it's not like the last one was released on Halloween. So it's not like we could have chosen Halloween... <laughs> Which would really obvious and really easy to do. No, we chose the number 
40. Anyway. <laughs> yes, although that wouldn't have worked either because it would have been a week after Halloween when it came out. Oh, yeah, we should have done it a week before. See, this is why we can't be trusted with anything except history. And to be <sighs> honest, we can't really be trusted with history either. <laughs> so, yes, this week's topic is the number 40. How have you found it, Tom? Easy peasy again, Sam. Easy peasy. Bish bash bosh. Started a bit of research before I knew it. I had something I was going to go with. And a good one as Fantastic. well. I've got a good topic. It was just bish bash bosh. We have done 40 episodes of this, so I'm getting pretty efficient now, I'd like to think. Oh, we have. Can you believe it? Can you believe that no one's told us to... Well, no one we respect enough to listen to has told us to stop. We've been told to stop on a number of... Well, it's been insinuated <laughs> that people think we should stop. <laughs> yes, it has. And we value your feedback. We value it, but we're going to ignore it. We'll take it on board, put it on the back burner. So, yes, I've uh, I, I've enjoyed this week too. I, didn't, I don't care, Sam. I didn't ask. Well, I just <laughs> thought I'd, I thought I'd offer. <laughs> I'm offering supporting statements, Tom. That's that's all I have to do. I agree. I agree with you. Thank you. Right. Should we flip something or do you just want to go first? Fuck it. I think we should flip it. Yeah. Let's flip something. something. To decide who goes first? Okay. It's important to keep to traditions. Have you got anything with the number 40 on? Ooh. Now, if only I had a copy of, like, Now 40. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? This is, I mean, this is why, partly why I said, should we just skip the flip? Because I've realised that I don't have... I've got, a, I've got the box any... for a lithium-ion battery. It's 18 volt. It can be used on over 60 Ryobi tools. Name 40 of those tools, and we're okay. in business. <laughs> Edgy as seat stuff here. <laughs> Strimmer, lawnmower... Blower, screwdriver. Excuse me. <laughs> pile driver, which is good for people with. <laughs> this sounds like the catalogue for an adult shop rather than the. <laughs> it's an excellent pile driver you got there. Excellent, superb. I tell you what, Tom, I've got a, a value pack of 40 batteries. Oh, that's actually better than me because I haven't actually. I can't find the number 40 on that box. 40 yeah. batteries. What type of batteries are they? They are triple A's. Great. This is all going to get cut. <laughs> <laughs> I asked a question, not really. <laughs> Knowing deep down it wasn't going to go anywhere interesting. Uh, <laughs> yep, content, Tom. It's all fucking content. We have to tick down to the hour. Yes, some AAA batteries, a value pack of 40. <laughs> Thank fuck, fuck for that. Let's bed. go to bed. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> okay, do you want the side that has the batteries, Tom? Fuck me, this is a thriller minute. Or do you want the side that says ideal for use with cameras? Dildos. <laughs> CD Walkman. <laughs> It's also got a picture. Actually, this is quite funny. It's got a picture on the back of things that you shouldn't do with your battery. And the final picture, which I quite like, is a picture of a man with a knife and fork eating. <laughs> cutting up the battery and eating it. Oh, lovely. <laughs> but he's being very polite. It's not finger food. He's not treating this AAA battery as an hors d'oeuvre. It's a main course. He's enjoying this. He's, if he's going to eat something ridiculously bad for his health, he's going to do it in a dignified, polite manner. Absolutely, yes. Which side do you want? Can't remember the options. Front or I'll go back. You want the side with the pictures, not the batteries. Okay. There we go. That was a have loud you just bang. have you just done one of the things you've been told not to do on the back of the back of the batteries? <laughs> you've won, Tom. Excellent. Um. Oh, I'll go first. I'll go first. What a surprise! I have chosen someone who was born in 40 AD, Sam. Have you? That's where I went with this theme. You started at the beginning. I went. You googled 40 AD. I did. And went with the first result that came up. Pretty much. I went, boom. I like that chap. He sounds great. Gonna go with him. No, it worked very, very well because the person I found 
most of the information we know about this person comes from a classical source. And that classical source is just the right length for me to read and listen to in a week. There you go. It worked a treat. Three paragraphs, 80 words. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. It was actually just someone's gravestone. <laughs> and that gravestone was the quality of this podcast. <laughs> I have been reading then a translation of Agricola by Tacitus. Very good. There you go, Sam. Because. Amongst all of our toilet humour and silly accents, deep down, Sam and I are actually reek clever clogs. We write, we, <laughs> we're reek clever clogs, and we like reading, like you know, uh, classical literature, like you know. I I can't. That's the one accent I can't do. Actually, that's not the one accent I can't do. I can't do Scouse either. You can't do Scouse, but I can. You can't do. I can only do semi-retarded Geordie. <laughs> I could. You know, I can only do child Geordie. Okay, I can't hit, do an adult Geordie. Hit me with someone from Biker Grove. PG! I'm Blaine Dickland! Blaine! Excellent. Well done. Okay. <laughs> anyway. It's been a while since we did a 90s TV reference. Yeah, Biker Grove. I, I thought that earlier today. For our vast majority of our audience who are now American, is a 90s kids TV programme set in a kind Biker, of youth club. Biker Grove. In and Newcastle. And it was uh, the first show for Ant and Deck. Ant and Deck were two of the actors in it. And I think Ant and Deck are oh, good. Introduce well more known. 90s TV characters. Oh, well, Ant and Deck present X Factor, don't they? The British X Factor. I'm sure Americans have been they exposed do. to that. Anyway, yeah, so who was Tacitus? Well, I'm glad you asked, Sam. You're, you're on track here. You're helping me along. He was a famous Roman who historian. Who was Tacitus? A bit late. Sorry, um, slightly late. Someone's, someone's already answered the question. <laughs> He was he was a famous Roman historian born in the middle of the first century AD, and as per usual for this sort of period in Rome, he wasn't just a historian, he was also heavily involved in politics as well. We don't know a huge amount about Tacitus, but we do know that he was a son-in-law of the subject of the book Agricola, a chap by the name of Agricola, whose name was used in the title of the book Agricola. <laughs> <laughs> does more or less what it says on the tin, doesn't it? it the book does. Agricola, following yeah. the life of Agricola, written by the family of Agricola. I dedicate this book to my relatives, particularly Agricola, and I'd like to thank Agricola for his support in making Agricola possible. <laughs> Publishers, Agricola and Agricola. The index, by the way, has uh, has one word in it. It starts with the letter A. <laughs> oh, yeah. As does the appendix, which explains the concept of Agricola. Anyway, we, we're going to stop talking about Tacitus. We don't want to talk to him about him. <laughs> Were we talking about Tacitus? I thought we were talking about Agricola. I know, it's why my notes didn't really help, did they? I was sort of trying to jump back onto my notes. <laughs> we hadn't actually really mentioned Tacitus, other than to say, there was a bloke. No, I was kind of jumping off a moving train, wasn't I? Okay. This is going awfully, isn't it? <laughs> One absolute car crash. I've got a sniffly nose. Yeah, but it's not blocking the blood flow to your brain, is it? Oh, no, you're doing that. Um... <laughs> Just like I did with Jeffrey. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. Right. Agricola. <laughs> Who was Agricola? Thank you for asking that second question, Sam. Let's head straight to the source. So Agricola's grandfather was an equestrian. His father was a senator um, who was put to death by Caesar for refusing to play political games to undermine one of Caesar's rivals. His mother was apparently a lovely lady too. And Agricola, when he was young, displayed a very good nature and a love of philosophy. Uh, but he learned quite quickly not to get too carried away with that sort of Greek ponciness because it was unbecoming for someone of Roman senatorial class to enjoy philosophy too much. 
It'll make you weak, lad. <laughs> don't think. We don't really like thinkers in the Roman politics. Oh, we like doers. <laughs> we like people who can invade people, you know. Common sense politics. People who can interfere in succession disputes. That's what we want. None of this philosophy nonsense, lad. Absolutely, absolutely. Don't get very far with that. Agricola soon found himself in the Roman army in Britain. Quote, he employed himself in gaining a knowledge of the country, making himself known to the army, learning from the experienced and imitating the best. And by imitating the best, I presume that means observing how they... <laughs> oh, hello! I am Caesar! Look at me! Frappity-tappity-tap! Look at my nose! Blah, blah, blah! Oh, no! I am being stabbed! Ha, ha, ha! I think that's pretty much what I had in my notes. <laughs> Oh, hello. My name's Suetonius Paulinus, and I walk like a big, angry bear, and my breath smells of onions. Um, No, I think he was a wee bit more mature than that, and I think he was just, you know, observing the behaviour of successful people and trying to imitate that behaviour. should listen to a motivational podcast. Yes, yes. I like podcasts and YouTube videos and social media pages from people preaching and telling people how to run a successful business and how to live their life successfully. And these people haven't run a successful business. I like that. Yes, me too. Yeah, I like life coaches who are 21. (laughs) Yes. You're kind of jumping a few stages there. are so many of them. (laughs) Before you can preach about how to run a successful business, run a successful fucking business. No, Tom, you don't want to be tainted by experience. You You want purity. Fuck me. Anyway, twats. Did you just do a little fart in the background? <laughs> no, I didn't. Pretty sure I just heard a little fart. <laughs> I did not do a little fart in the background. Thank you very much. Dear Lord. <laughs> fart police are here, aren't they? <laughs> Nina, 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 Nina. Knock, knock. Is someone in here farted? Who are you, the gassy rosers? <laughs> Detective do shits. <laughs> Hello, 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 what's going on here then? I hear from your neighbour <laughs> that there has been a little fart somewhere in the vicinity of this house. <laughs> Where was I? He got married, had a daughter, spent some time in Asia before lying low and being pretty beige during the reign of Nero, which by all accounts is a very good idea. And then during the turbulent year of the four emperors, which was 69 AD, Agricola was again very wise and sided with Vespasian, who eventually came out as the emperor and reigned for a further ten years. And the year of the four emperors was the year where we have Galba, Otho, Vitellius and Vespasian all having a go. It's basically a year of civil war in Rome. Vespasian promotes Agricola due to his loyalty and he's given control of Aquitaine, so basically the middle west of France. Here he displayed his wonderful character and personality. Quote, nothing of sternness, arrogance or rapaciousness appeared. He did not court reputation and he showed integrity and freedom from corruption. So he was a good man, Sam, this Agricola. He was a good man, if I do say so myself as his (laughs) son-in-law. I'd never really read much about Agricola. And when I found out that he was a very important governor of Britain during the Roman occupation, I I thought that was fascinating. I know most of our listeners are, are American, but I'm sure they'll appreciate this. Quote, Britain, the largest of all the islands which have come within the knowledge of the Romans, stretches on the east towards Germany, on the west towards Spain, and on the south it is even within sight of Gaul. Its northern extremity has no opposite land, but is washed by a wide and open sea. The Roman fleet, at this period first sailing round this remotest coast, gave certain proof 
that Britain was an island, and at the same time discovered and subdued the Orcades island till then unknown. Thule was also distinctly seen, which winter and eternal snow had hitherto concealed. So nice references there. So the Orcades were the Orkneys. Mm. And Thule could have been Iceland, Norway, the Faroe Islands, or potentially the Shetland Islands. But just interesting that the Romans had managed to sail all the way around the British Isles. Yeah, I'm always amazed by how far the Romans managed to get. Mm. Well, how far anyone in antiquity managed to get, actually, really. Always further than you think. It is always further than you think, yeah. Not to Mars, though. They Not that far. Well, you won't know until you get there, Tom. That is true. Do you remember there was... Uh, this is... a another kids TV series in Britain in the late 90s, early 2000s called Aquila, where two kids yes. were rummaging around and found a Roman spaceship. Was that what it was? A Roman spaceship? I think you're right. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, or it was a spaceship that the Romans had found and called Aquila, which means eagle. And these two kids went on adventures in their Roman spaceship. British kids TV was weird. It was a little bit like uh, Flight of the Navigator, wasn't it? Do you remember Flight of the Navigator? That cult... 80s yeah. film. It was a little bit like Flight of the Navigator, the spaceship, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, that was quite good. I used to enjoy that programme. So Tacitus goes on to talk about the origins of the natives of Britain. Caledonians have ruddy hair and large limbs. That's the Scots. The Salur... <laughs> Very big hands. <laughs> Very big... Large limbs, big long arms. <laughs> or just really stocky. Okay, then. I am Mr. McLonglegs. <laughs> Watch me walk over Loch Ness in one <laughs> and stride. And the one giant step. <laughs> I have very ruddy hair. <laughs> I sound quite a lot like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Who else has he mentioned? He mentions the Salures, who are swarthy with curly hair, so possibly related to the Spaniards. I think they were Welsh. Ah, those famous Welsh Spaniards, yeah. Yes, the Welsh Spaniards. Yeah, I, sorry, I'm, that was Tacitus saying that they were possibly related to Spaniards, by the way. That wasn't me saying Oh, that. right, that, wasn't, that yeah. wasn't you. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then England, or the area now known as England, was mostly inhabited by people similar to the Gauls. Quote, the language of the two nations do not greatly differ. The same audacity in provoking danger and irresolution in facing it when present is observable in both. The Britons, however, display more ferocity, not being yet softened by a long peace. Come on, you fucking Roman wankers. <laughs> we'll have you. Come on, if you think you're hard enough. Oh, look at you with your fucking short sword. Ooh. Walking in a long line, all in your special uniforms, and you've got your long fucking straight roads. Pumps. Oh, look at you. You Lakata Sigma. Oh, fuck it. What's the Roman armour called? Armour. You Lakata Sigmentata. Hey, <laughs> just go naked, paint yourself blue, take your clothes off. And have a scrap. And wangle your willy around before running into battle aimlessly. You daft southern bastards. <laughs> yep. So there you have it. Most of the Britons had infantry-based armies with a few chariots for the nobility. And there were lots of bickering tribal groups who were incapable of getting together and resisting the Romans, which the Romans loved because they were exploiting it all the time. Yes. Pretty much their bag. Yeah. Worth pointing out again, this is me pulling everything solely from Tacitus. So I'm just using Tacitus as my own only source here. He goes on to explain that Britain is deformed by clouds and frequent rains. The days are long in the summer and short in the winter. You're not wrong. And the soil is good for corn. Quote, growth is quick, but maturation slow. Which is kind of you and I, isn't it, really, <laughs> That Sam? could describe any teenage boy. That could describe <laughs> us, yeah. <laughs> so true. 
as anyone who's listened to this podcast will know. <laughs> Growth is quick, but maturation slow in certain cases. So Agricola becomes governor of Britain at the end of a summer campaigning season. However, he gets the Romans organised straight away and immediately wages a war at the end of the campaigning season on the Ordovices in North Wales, who were pestering the Romans. And not content with just defeating this tribe, he ordered his men to wade across to the island of Anglesey, where he defeated some more native Britons who had been helping the Ordovices or Devices. I'm not sure how easy it is to wade across the water that separates Wales from Anglesey. I don't know if anyone <laughs> listening is from that area of the world. Potentially you can um, let us know. But that's what we've been told by Tacitus. Agricola followed up these victories in subsequent years with campaigns into the north of the British Isles using a very carrot and stick approach. <laughs> Hit them with a stick and shove a carrot up their ass. That'll get that'll get the bastards moving. <laughs> Yes. No? <laughs> not quite. Not quite. No, he was sort of harry enemies who were hostile to the Romans. Once you'd given them a bit of a beating up, then offer peace, then try and exploit sort of rivalries between tribal groups, and then get people onto your side and bring them into the Roman Empire. Good. Always leaving a network of fortifications wherever he was going. And then during the winter months, when they weren't actively campaigning... He was encouraging lots of Romanization of the Britons, so he was building baths, theatres, offering Roman education to nobles from some of the native British families, noble families. And then Tacitus goes on to give us a summary of some of Agricola's campaigns in subsequent years. So in the third summer, Agricola led an army as far north as the River Tay in Scotland, which is around Dundee and Perth. Mm. In the fifth summer, he explores west and finds himself on the Isle of Arran, but decides not to go any further. So Arran's very close to northeast Ireland, but decides not to go and explore Ireland. Yes, quite cold. I can imagine why he wouldn't go much further than that. Have you been there? I haven't, Joe. I was in Edinburgh this weekend. This weekend oh, just gone. Very nice. I had a lovely time. It's a very, very beautiful city. It is, isn't it? And it, it was a gorgeous weekend, uh, but very, very windy and very cold. Fair enough. Fair at enough. this time of year. Carry on. And in the sixth summer, he sails around the east coast of Scotland and starts putting the willies up the Caledonians who had been attacking um, <laughs> Roman camps. Thank your pardon. He <laughs> puts the willies up the Caledonians, Sam. Went on tour. <laughs> when, when in Caledonia <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what happens in Caledonia stays in Caledonia <laughs> yeah now there is a fascinating well, on that subject there is a fascinating episode that is now told by Tacitus so the Romans when they're out campaigning encounter some German auxiliaries who had rebelled against their Roman leaders in northern Germany. They'd killed a centurion, stolen some boats, and by accident sailed all the way around the east and north of Britain. Jesus. Cannibalising each other en route. Probably unnecessary. Um, uh, were sold into slavery and then ended up back in the Roman camp. That's a bit of a long-winded way of <laughs> fucking yourself over, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you fucked everything up there, haven't you? Yeah. That really didn't go very well. It's like going crawling back to a company that you left years ago. (laughs) Having just eaten some of the other employees you (laughs) left with you. Having having eaten Barry from the warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) Who, in fairness, had always looked delicious. It looked like he would roast up beautifully. In reality, not so much. (laughs) The Caledonians managed to form a confederacy and provide a lot more resistance to the Romans than many of the tribes in the more southern areas of Scotland. And they were led by a chap called Calgacus. 
who has a rather famous... Kalgookie Kalgookus, who has a rather famous speech to his name. Here is a few quotes from it. But there is no nation beyond us, nothing but waves and rocks. To ravage, to slaughter, and to usurp false titles, they call empire. And where they make desert... When they make desert, they call it peace. I almost said <laughs> when they make dessert. <laughs> where... A delicious peach cobbler. <laughs> they make dessert. Those, those Romans bloody coming over here with their gelatos. <laughs> and their trifles. And every... <laughs> oh, good grief. Here's another quote. Britain every day buys, every day feeds her own servitude. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little bit like what did the Romans ever do for us though, isn't it? I can imagine some, some of the Britons listening to this going, well, oh, but they've got lovely plays. Oh, I do like their theatres. Oh, but they have lovely <laughs> underfloor heating. Have you seen their toilets? A wonderful, wonderful and lovely mosaics. <laughs> a cloth on a stick to wipe yourself with bloody luxury. Bloody luxury. How did we never think of that in Britain before the Romans arrived? <laughs> it's a cloth on a stick. So simple but so effective. <laughs> in the end, this is kind of the culmination of Tacitus's biography of Agricola. There's a large battle where the Romans face off against the Caledonians and give them a spanking as the Romans generally did. So they had superior weaponry, they were better organised and they were tactically better led. And um, in this battle, only 360 Romans died, but 10,000 Caledonians are supposed to have died um, at the battlefield. And it was just chaos, apparently. So all well-organised Roman infantry lines just chopped through the Britons, who were just sort of running around aimlessly shouting. (laughs) Now, why why didn't Mel Gibson make a film about that? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, he never, yeah, he doesn't. He never makes films about the English. They being... can take our lives, but they'll never put their willies up us. <laughs> Just their short swords instead, because it was <laughs> the short swords that gave them a right mangling. The Britons had much longer, blunter swords, and they were just useless in close combat, apparently. Here's a quote: "Arms and carcasses and mangled limbs were promiscuously strewed, and the field was dyed in blood." After this battle, <laughs> like promiscuously strewn, it's an interesting giving use a come, of the word. <laughs> giving a come hither look on a seven arm, <laughs> yeah. or a torso without its limbs, just bent over, <laughs> just oh, a, saucy, yeah, a headless, harmless man going, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> Agricola. Oh, you saucy minx. Got no arms and legs, but I've still got a mouth. <laughs> oh dear! Yes, so it, it chaos, and apparently the Slutty British arms. The, apparently, the um, British chariots just caused mayhem as well. The horses got scared. The chariots started running everywhere, and it just, it was just chaos. It was chaos. So that was a, that's kind of the culmination of this bit biography, and we we find out a little bit afterwards that in 85 AD Agricola was recalled to Rome because Domitian was jealous. Emperor Domitian was jealous of his successes in Britain, and he died in 93 AD. And there were rumours that there was some something going on behind the scenes with Domitian. He may have arranged for Agricola to be killed, but that is Agricola by Tacitus, which I found very very interesting because I'd never read or learned much about Agricola before. Very good. So, a history of the early Romans. In Britain, yep. In Britain, sorry, yes. And Agricola, supposedly quite a nice man, until you actually look at what he did, where he was, did quite a lot of killing. He was, well, yes, and, and, but he, a bit of Tacitus murdering. seemed to love him. Tacitus has painted him in a very, very nice light in this document, and sort of contrasts him with some of the 
nasty people in Rome who were backstabbing each other and conniving, self-serving, careerist mm. individuals in Rome. Yes, whereas he was just a nice, honest man, just doing a nice, honest Roman day's work, mass slaughtering of native populations. Of Caledonians. Keeping himself to himself. <laughs> yes. Lovely. What a nice man. I quite liked him. He seemed quite nice to me. I like the Romans, Sam. <laughs> I've got a classical honourable mention today for our me. topic of 40. And that is, a drum roll please, as I try and pronounce it. <laughs> I can feel it calling in the end. Beautiful. The Tesseracontires, Tom. The longest word and largest ship in antiquity. It's quite possibly right. the largest human-powered ship ever built. It was a giant pedalo. It was a giant pedalo, yeah. It was a rowboat of epic proportions. Wow. Yeah. Imagine the how romantic many, poetry people? you can... Come on. Tell, how many people? You can't leave us on tender hooks here. How many people were rowing in this thing? Well, you'll find out in just a second. I do have... I, I am going to tell you. You have to listen a bit first. Some background okay. information. Okay. So it was built by Ptolemy the Fourth of Egypt in the third century BC. The Ptolemaic dynasty was obviously the the Greek rulers of Egypt, slightly confusingly, and it was fucking huge. This thing, Tessera Contiris, means forty, right? Hence, fitting in today. So the name of the ship was Forty. And the ship was named after the numbers of ranks of oars and rowers on each side, which is a bit complicated to describe, and the math doesn't actually quite work out. But the upshot of this, Tom, is that it carried. How, how, well, actually, let's have a let's have a game. Guess, Tom. Guess how many rowers this ship had? Three. More. That'd be a, that'd be a shit number of rowers, wouldn't it? It would be a yeah. It would be an unnecessarily difficult number of rowers. <laughs> to... <laughs> The most difficult number of rowers. One. I don't think you've fought this through. Two or four would be easier than three. Anything above four is easier. A sensible answer. Um, 80. Oh, much, much more. 160. Oh, a drop in the ocean. 457. 4,000 rowers, Tom. Fuck off. 4,000 rowers, 400 non rowing sailors. 3,000 troops, and also passengers and supplies. Piss right off. I don't believe it. A crew of around (laughs) 8,000. Fuck off. I mean, there are bloody... There are modern naval boats that are not quite that big, are there? That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, that's more crew than any any ship in the last couple of hundred years would have... Well, the last... 2,000 years would have had, frankly, probably the largest number of crew on any ship ever. I'd have to look that up. But yeah, nearly 10,000 crew in a ship approximately the same length and significantly wider than Noah's Ark. Oh, sorry, can I question this for a moment now? Yes. (laughs) Fact and fiction with regards to Noah's Ark. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) When? Yeah, well, the the size of Noah's Ark is, is written in, I say historical documents, it's written in documents. I mean, let's be honest, with... With what we now know about the different species on Earth... Yes. Noah's Ark would have been fucking enormous if they all went on two by two. It was pretty big, yeah. The elephant and the kangaroo. Well, I can tell you exactly how exactly how big it was, Tom. It was... Um, well, firstly, it was a catamaran, so it's essentially two separate ships joined together by a big platform stretched between the two. And it was 440 feet long, 135 metres... It was 65 feet tall, 20 metres tall, and each hull was about 
20 metres wide. And then there was the width of the deck between the two, which we don't have the details of. So it was absolutely massive. It was about... This is Noah's Ark. This is the... Oh, you're going to make me say it again, you bastard. This is the Tessera Contiris. <laughs> right, OK. OK, wow. So, yeah, this ship was 440 feet long, 135 metres, and probably about 130 feet wide as well. Something like that. So absolutely massive. It was also really quite heavily armed. It had seven battering rams and a number of catapults. And in addition to all of this, it was utterly fucking useless. <laughs> it was yeah. way too big for any harbour in the world. And so it only actually sailed once, after which it was just moored in Alexandria and used as a showpiece to impress visitors. And apart from anything else, it was apparently an absolute pig to control. No shit. Because trying to keep 4,000 rowers in unison on a ship that's 130 metres long and probably close to that wide, it didn't control very well. No. Turn left. Left. <laughs> yes. Far, far, far too big to be sensible. The Ptolemaic kings actually had a habit of doing this, though, because Archimedes you may have heard of him, had built another enormous ship for Ptolemy IV's dad, the unimaginatively named Ptolemy III. Difficult to remember all of these names, I know. Uh, the ship was called the Syracusia, and this time it was the world's first ocean liner. And again, at the time, it was the largest ship ever built. It was, again, far too big to be moored anywhere, so it just sat in Alexandria after being sailed from Sicily. But... The thing about this ship, Tom, is it was a full floating city. It had city walls and towers for archers, like a proper city. It had flower-lined boulevards and an encampment of luxurious tents on deck for visitors. It had an onboard bathhouse with hot running water. And rather than just being made of wood like normal ships, uh, the floors were made of mosaics depicting the entire story of the Iliad with walls of ivory and marble. It also, for the visitor's pleasure, had an onboard gym and a large and well-stocked library. That must have been an absolute treat to row across the Mediterranean for the 3,000 yeah. poor bastards who had to row it. Christ. So the world's first ocean liner, and again, apparently was an absolute pig to steer and control, unsurprisingly, being made of fucking marble, and was just moored up in Alexandria and forgotten about. It was a trinket. <laughs> a bloody large trinket. Bloody stupid. Why yes. not just slowly increase the size of your boats? Until you get to the stage where you can build a big one that's useful. Why go from... Well, they did, but it was uh, they did do this. Going back through the Ptolemies, each one built a bigger and bigger ship. There was one called the 20, there was one called the 30, and then we had this one, the 40. And the 30 was too big to be useful. But the 20 was actually apparently a very, very useful ship. It was small enough to be controllable. I don't know how long it was. I think it was about 80 metres long, but I could be completely making that up. Small enough to be controllable, but big enough to absolutely dick on anything else in the world at the time. So the 20 was useful, and after that it got a bit silly. Yeah. Bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually they just became complete white elephants, these ships. But huge, huge ships. Absolutely amazing that they didn't just break apart in the slightest breeze. But anyway, that's my honourable mention, which is... It's quite a big honourable mention, but there we go. Because my main story today is going back to Britain again. Two from Britain Yay. today. Yay! In the 1840s. And some of the bizarre events of what was known as railway mania. You know me, Tom. Ooh. I like a train. I've got a train set in my loft. You like a train? Yeah. I do. How is your train set in the loft? Are you still getting some work done on it? Oh, yeah. It hasn't, I haven't been able to run a train on it in years. It's just covered in grass and cardboard paint. Right. But it keeps me sane. 
sad little hobby. Anyway, at the time, in the 1840s, Britain was in the throes of the Industrial Revolution. There were lots of very, very, very rich men with lots of money floating about. The emerging middle class suddenly had a desire to invest and a little bit of spare money to do so. And lots of poor people and stuff needed to be moved around where they could be more useful. International trade was kind of slumping a little bit after the Napoleonic Wars had finished, and so the government was very keen to get things moving again, and the answer was trains. In 1830, the first proper passenger railway in the world had opened, the Liverpool to Manchester line. It managed the 31-mile route at a dizzying pace, Tom, of 16 miles an hour. Oh, yes. I know, absolutely. And the locals were scared, weren't they, that it was going to kill the cows? That, that speed. Yes, absolutely. The dizzying pace of 16 miles an hour. Can you imagine anything going that oh, fast? Dear. Yeah. With a journey time of around just two hours between Manchester and Liverpool, which, to be fair, if you try and do it in rush hour, is about the same as it takes today. Yeah. And this immediately revolutionised the world of travel. And so, just a few years later, in the early 1840s, Britain went mad for railways. Everybody wanted one. And budding entrepreneurs in cities around the country set out to make it happen. Anyone could submit a plan to the government for a railway, get a bill passed to get permission to build it, raise the cash and go ahead. There was really very little oversight over who was doing what. And as anyone who's ever been to Britain or any European city knows, we don't really do centralised planning. <laughs> it's not really our bag. Nothing's laid out neatly or in straight lines. And this was exactly the same case with these early railways. It was quite common for one small town of, say, six or 7,000 people to be served by three or even four separate railways going to exactly the same place, but with separate stations. So someplace in the southeast, you could have four different railways taking you to London from tiny little towns. And completely different railroads. Completely different routes, completely different trains, completely different stations, all going from one place to the same other place. Huh. Bear in mind, Britain has just 70 cities and there were 270 railway companies competing for them. <laughs> it was nice. not a very sensible way to do business. And this led to incredible and frankly ridiculous levels of competition and not just in the boardrooms. Staff for these companies were fanatically loyal to their own employers, kind of like football fans, almost to the point of violence, which led to some really quite funny standoffs and quite a lot of foul play on the odd occasions where these companies got too close to each other and had to play nice and share. In 1849 in Manchester, there was the Battle of Clifton Junction. And what happened was two competing companies, the Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway and the East Lancashire Railway, splitters, had to share the tracks heading into the city of Manchester. Now these tracks were owned by the Lancashire and Yorkshire, but it was agreed that the East Lancashire would pay a fee for every passenger it carried. The Lancashire and Yorkshire didn't trust them, and so opened up a ticket checkpoint on the route into Manchester, which wasted lots and lots of time and money, you know, stopping the train for half an hour whilst all the tickets were checked. So, quite pissed off at this, the East Lancashire trains just didn't bother stopping. They just ignored the signals and pootled on by. The first company, the Lancashire and Yorkshire, decided one day they would just block their own tracks with rubbish. They just poured loads of rubbish and dumped a load of trees over their own railway line. This sounds like an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes, it does. <laughs> and then, for good measure, they parked a train behind the barricade, completely blocking off all of the routes. The East Lancashire train crew came in, train arrived, they moved the barricade out of the way, and then deliberately rammed the two trains together to try and push their way through. Good. They literally deliberately caused a train crash, with all the passengers still on board these trains, remember, to try and force their way through to Manchester. At which point, 
Each company started bringing in more and more and more trains to try and push the other one's trains out of the way. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so it you ended a up... giant push of war. Yeah, you ended up with a massive train wrestling match. <laughs> nice. With eight different trains on each side barging each other and having a huge fight. <laughs> with the fat controller in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, Thomas has put Percy through the table. <laughs> Same joke as last week. <laughs> Still a good one. So yeah, you ended up with eight trains having a huge wrestling match, literally trying to push each other along the tracks with just some very confused Victorian passengers stuck in the middle wondering if they were ever actually going to make it to Manchester, which was only a couple of miles away by this point. They were really very close. And that wasn't the only one. In 1852, there was the Battle of Nottingham. I like the fact that these things are all called battles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a bit like that like that time you found on wikipedia some of the battles from narnia written up as serious historical events yes 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 <laughs> so in 1852 there was the battle of nottingham uh, again two companies the great northern railway and the midland railway shared the station at nottingham but it was owned by the midland railway who got very very pissed off when the great northern started a much faster service to london so what did they do well when the great northern train rocked up one day the Midland staff just stole it. Right. <laughs> they literally stole the train and ran off with it. <laughs> Clever tactic. The yep. thing with a train, it can only really travel on rails. Yes. It's difficult to run away with and hide. <laughs> they didn't let that stop them, though. Well, they did. They drove it into a shed and then they pulled up the railway track <laughs> so it couldn't be moved. <laughs> Clever. Yeah, again, just like in Thomas the Tank Engine, pulled up the tracks and held this train hostage for seven months until the court demanded that they gave it back. And then they had to put the railway back down again. They had to put the railway back down and give them their train back. So they literally kidnapped a whole train for seven months and refused to give it back. And that happened in several places. In the 1880s, a train outside London was steered onto a siding by a rival company. And again, they stole the tracks and refused to give the train back. <laughs> so it just got stuck. Bearing in mind... These are professional companies in Victorian Britain. Yeah. These are very large corporations who are doing this. And sometimes there were just fights over different train tracks. In 1859 at Havant on the south coast, a pitched battle nearly started between rival gangs of track workers uh, who were working for the competing London, Brighton and South Coast Railway and the London and South Western Railway. Yes, again, it's very confusing, which is part of the reason <laughs> why there were so many fights. These are the names of different companies who's all serving the same cities. Anyway, the two companies shared a bit of track around Havant, and their construction workers, known as navvies, kept on stealing each other's tracks and relaying their own, or just parking and abandoning trains across the lines to block each other's <laughs> trains from going through. <laughs> like, really aggressive parking. <laughs> like... Like, you know how people get really, really het up about supposedly owned parking spaces? Yeah, 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 yeah. And parking no permits. Else, it, yeah. Was just, it was just like that. And it nearly ended in a riot, this one, with several possibly slightly doubtful accounts of the two gangs literally coming to blows and hitting each other with spanners and, and punching each other. And <laughs> what happened with this one is that literally the two gangs of navvies were... At the same time, it was like a game of cops and robbers. They were pulling up the other one's tracks while simultaneously trying to protect their own tracks. So it was like a game of British Bulldog where people would be running around and just stealing <laughs> railway lines from behind the back to the other group. <laughs> whilst trying not to get hit by a spanner. And whilst they were doing this, the other company would go and steal some more track from the other ones. 
<laughs> literally just belting around and all the time trains are trying to pass and then run past each other yeah, on the rail with, line yeah oh, that's my bit of track with lengths of track above oh, their head yeah <laughs> oh i'm gonna come back for that later there are still literally trains trying to pass through <laughs> just queues of slightly perplexed victorians Watching as these two gangs, <laughs> navvies running back and forward, running backwards and forwards. Yeah, and they were literally they were they were throwing the tracks onto carts and and carting them away so that the other ones couldn't get them back. At which point, another train would turn up with more track. <laughs> like yeah, kind well, of it's safe. <laughs> yeah. All the trailer they're throwing the track into. They go, ha ha! I've got all the track now. <laughs> Shit! I can't move it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly I'm what. I'm stuck. It's... Fuck. <laughs> That is exactly what was happening. So every time they actually managed to run away with some track, a train would turn up with more track. And it would just get more and more intense, like a game of Tetris. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. It was fucking ridiculous. And so all of this, this competition was part of the reason why, alongside it being the end of World War One and there being huge shortages of manpower, that in the 1920s, 120 of the surviving competing railway companies, still a ridiculous number for a country the size of Britain, they were merged into four. The government decided that this was ridiculous and you couldn't keep on like this. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. So they merged them into four and then after World War II, they merged them into just one big national company. But it wasn't just the companies who were going mad in the 1840s, the railway companies. It was also the people riding on the railways because doctors, as as you kind of already mentioned, were convinced that trains were terrible for your health, both mentally and physically. At the the colossal speeds that they were travelling. Absolutely. Well, the next thing I've got written in my notes is that they were worried that it would kill cows along the railway line and curdle milk and send milkmaids mad, presumably through having to crane their neck to watch as trains whizzed past (laughs) at 20 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. With navvies running past it. <laughs> yeah, laying the tracks in front of it like in Wallace and Gromit. Crook, crook. Actually, that was what it was like. It was like in Wallace and Gromit, the wrong trousers. <laughs> These Yorkshire companies stolen the drive. Quick, replace it before <laughs> the train gets here. Yeah, it was like kind of a Buster <laughs> Keaton <trousers>. film. <laughs> great film, absolutely great film. Packing cheese, Gromit. <laughs> So, yeah, they were convinced that the speed of the passing trains would drive milkmaids mad and curdle cow's milk. But actually, it was a common myth at the time, written about by scientists, that at the higher and higher speeds trains were rapidly achieving, passengers would literally be suffocated. They would die if the trains hit certain speeds. There was a periodical in 1848. So a genuine magazine article which suggested that by 1948, trains would be doing 700 miles an hour. We've extrapolated from the data <laughs> they have, they have. and established that this is a likely speed in the mid-1950s. Yes. We are mathematicians who have no common sense whatsoever, but the numbers don't lie. Mr Fortescue Smythe of the Royal Society has done the numbers and he says that we'll be doing approximately light speed by 2050. <laughs> Simple math and maths don't lie. <laughs> no. In fact, this is genuinely a genuine story that was written in 1848 to extol the horrors of uh, high-speed rail travel. They said that by 1948, in this article, trains would be doing 700 miles an hour, and they gave a theoretical situation, a horror story, in which a train travelling from New York to Baghdad... Yeah. Yes, in 1948, went round a corner too fast, which immediately killed the driver 
and sent the train careering at hundreds of miles an hour down the track out of control, where it had to be stopped, get this Tom, technology of the 1840s looking to the future, it had to be stopped by people in hot air balloons with grappling hooks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is very steampunk, isn't it? It is is very, very steampunk, yes. So this 700 mile an hour train approaching Baghdad had to be stopped by men with hot air balloons and grappling hooks. Fortunately, this periodicalist scientific article has a happy ending, Tom, because doctors managed to unkill the train driver using magnets, just like in the future. <laughs> wow. What a strange yeah. document. Indeed, yeah. And there was a recognised condition known as railway madness, detailed in a book called The Invisible Plague, The Rise of Mental Illness from 1750 to the Present, by Edwin Fuller Torrey and Judy Miller. And this book claimed that men would reportedly become violently aggressive when trains were moving because their uh, innate insanity was set off by the vibrations of the carriage, latent madness. But then they would calm down at stations. Of course, Tom, they were absolutely not just drunks on trains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not just not just football fans on a Saturday yeah, afternoon. Absolutely. They they weren't just drunks or desperate to get off this wooden death trap doing fifteen oh, miles an hour. And Stanley playing <laughs> Wolverhampton Wanderers on the weekend. Aye. Remember, Tom, it was the speed that caused the madness and not just pisshead football fans. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in one particularly lovely example from the eighteen sixties, a Scottish nobleman is recorded as having stripped completely naked and leaned out of the window, ranting and raving on a train down to Manchester, driven mad by the motion and noise and speed. Uh, That is until he finally got close to his station. God damn this 17 mile an hour! I can't stand it! (laughs) No, Tom, he was was Scottish. He was Scottish. I can't do a Scottish accent. Okay, then. Hey, I'm going to have to take off all my clothes. You need to do Scotty from Star Trek. She can't take it anymore, Captain. Her doing 17 miles an hour. The Klingons are catching up to us. <laughs> She's going to break up, Captain. She's going to blow. The only way to do it is to strip off some weight. Let me take my clothes off and hang out the window, shaking at the English lassies. <laughs> you want to take a look at me shortbread, love? Eh? <laughs> That's a euphemism that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> You could have gone for haggis. I could have gone for haggis. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, do you like iron brew? Do you want to see something else that's made with (laughs) garters? So yes, apparently as soon as he got close to his station, the madness subsided. He put on all of his clothes and carried on as if nothing had ever happened. (laughs) Yeah, what a convenient excuse. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Are you sure it wasn't just a stag do? Yeah, remember Tom, it's the speed of the train, not the booze. Yeah. Not, 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 not the stag weekend. Yes. Not all of your other Scottish mates here. You've got to strip yourself naked on the train. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. At any rate, these stories, along with other stories of muggings and murders on trains, were whipped up by the press and urban legend and rumour really spread about these as well. So people were terrified of travelling on the trains in case a madman came on board. So much so that in 1864 there was even a law passed that stated if you found a madman on a train, he should be locked in a carriage compartment on his own until police arrived. So there you go, enshrined in law that railways will cause you madness. I've been on British trains on a number of occasions where I've wanted to lock someone in their own carriage. Absolutely, God, yeah. Mm. (laughs) I wish that law was still in place. Yes, British trains for anyone who is not British, particularly on football days are unbelievably awful. <laughs> it's usually it's usually uh, teenage boys with hormones yeah. <laughs> that aren't balanced and they're sort of sitting like 
stroppy teenagers in the corner of a carriage playing loud music out on their phone that nobody else wants to listen to. Yeah. Giving aggressive looks to anyone who wants to politely ask them to turn the thing off. Wankers. Or occasionally you get a train racist. A train racist. <laughs> yeah, you get quite a lot of train racists who are people who decide that now we're in an enclosed space with each other for three hours. Now is the time for me to reveal my true thoughts on people of different ethnic minorities who happen to be sat close to me. Train racists. <laughs> it's really weird. Maybe it's, it's a, true, it's a real it thing. True. Maybe it maybe it is, yeah. Being con- being confined space for hours on end will drive you to madness. And then of course you just get the drunk city boys. You get professionals who have pent up stress all week and then just release at the weekend. Can't wait to get home to do it so they start on the train. Oh, right. Get absolutely hammered and end up pissing themselves under a table. British Rail, what a treat. But yes, in 1894, in one of the the last recognised cases of railway madness, was a story of a completely naked man who cut the emergency cord to stop the train, jumped on and started terrorising passengers who had to fight him off by poking him with their umbrellas. (laughs) They they had a choice, did they, Sam? They had to poke him with their umbrellas and try and no I was going to try and do a beat him off joke <laughs> yes I knew where that was going I opened yeah, you up to anyway. it I opened you up to a beating off joke and <laughs> <laughs> I was too tired to take it properly uh, that's what he said I missed the opportunity there you go so that was one of the last cases in uh, what was probably realistically more a stark reflection on a lack of care for those with latent mental health issues than you know the existence of trains <laughs> That's very English, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> a naked man on a train being controlled by a group of people with umbrellas. <laughs> yes, just a load of men in top hats just kind of corralling him. I say, I say, Johnson, <laughs> give him one in an ad. Go on. <laughs> it's just like one of those peep shows. <laughs> it's just like being back at boarding school. Yes, go on. <laughs> squeal, piggy, squeal. <laughs> Come on, Smythe. You enjoy this, we know you do, don't Come you? Come on, we've all seen. <laughs> yes, we've all seen the lithographs of what you get up to on a Saturday. <laughs> I can have my pajamas back. No, dance, you little piglet. <laughs> Let me stick this umbrella up your ass. I just want to go to sleep. It actually wasn't railway madness at all. It was just the stripper they'd hired for a hand. <laughs> yeah. Hello, ladies. It's me, the big controller. Woof. Thomas the Wank Engine. <laughs> there we go. Taking his clothes off to the theme tune. Uh, 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 yeah. Woof. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, my God. You want to see Henry the Big Engine? <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, dear. Anyway. There we go, Tom. The 1840s and railway mania. In boardrooms and railway carriages around the country, people were going mad. And that is the end of my story. <laughs> oh, girls. All right, girls. Watch the steam come out of my boiler. <laughs> <laughs> this will turn you all on. <laughs> I'll give you chuff, chuff, chuff. <laughs> Enough chuff to fill up your mouth. That's what they say. Hey. From the Thomas the Wank Engine. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid <laughs> Ex- excellent fam thank you for that right we should probably think of a topic for next week shouldn't we oh dear what are we going to do next week 
Halloween. Let's do something spooky. <laughs> Let's do something spooky for what will now be a week after Halloween. Yes. I don't think we can do Halloween. I think we've missed no, the boat. No, we're not doing Halloween. We're doing historical spookiness. <laughs> a completely unrelated topic. Yeah, nothing to do with Halloween. Yeah, fine, fuck it. Let's do hauntings. Yes, the hauntings, spooky, spooky hauntings. Let's do that. Okay. Scariness. Scary week. At the Tom and Sam, that was Genius Carnival. The spookiest thing is that this podcast is still going. <laughs> and on that note, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do let us know if you have. Subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And don't forget our free mug giveaway share us on social media and tag us in it say something nice about us Uh, you could win a beautiful that was genius tea mug coffee mug we are on instagram at that was genius on facebook that was genius podcast and on twitter that underscore was underscore genius make sure you at us and yeah terms and conditions apply enter because probably not many other people are going to so if yeah, you, you stand enter, a you reasonable a very, chance. Yeah, really strong chance of winning that mug. Yeah, and it also that mug will look really good with pens in it. So you don't have to use it for tea and coffee. You can use it for cup of soup and pens. Yeah, hot chocolate, stationery of your choice, uh, yep. trapping sizable spiders. Actually, good. You could yep. you could stick it. You could trap a good spider in that. Is it like a Sports Direct mug? Is it a real big one? It's not a whole gallon of tea. No, okay. It's a it's a normal size mug. It's a normal size mug. It's an average mug for a person of average thirst. So if you're a person of incredible thirst, tag us twice to win two. And on that note, we'll see you next week. Tom, I think, needs to get some sleep. <laughs> yes. And I'm done with this bullshit. So have a fantastic week. We'll see you again next Thursday for a completely opportune and well-timed look at spooky things from the past. Bye. Bye.